This is Motor Mania. Now shut up and drive. On Dubai I 103.8. Yes, we're with you through until midday. This is Motor Mania on Dubai I 103.8. Now we're getting into some really juicy stuff. I recently drove two, not one, two Bugattis with a collective value of 27 million dirhams. Um, crazy stuff. I drove the Bugatti Chiron Super Sport as well as the Bugatti Chiron Per Sport out at the Dubai Autodrome. And uh, it was definitely my most expensive day behind the wheel. I can tell you, I absolutely guarantee you that. Um, it was all, I was, um, uh, it was a, a very, very busy time there. Now, I was also driven around there by none other than Andy Wallace. Andy Wallace is a multiple Le Mans winner for Jaguar. He's a triple Daytona 24-hour winner, and he's now uh, the test pilot for Bugatti these days. So I managed to have a chat with him inside the Chiron Supersport, where we hit 282 kilometers per hour mid-interview. Crazy stuff, and uh, no doubt he loves the car. It's a luxury car, easy to drive, refined, comfortable, very, very secure, but it's got 1,600 horsepower and a a restricted, electronically restricted top speed of 440. (laughs) So there you are, ladies and gentlemen, that is the Super Sport. And, uh, that is absolutely outrageous. Yeah, but it's so civilized. Uh, yeah. At the same time, if you can, if there is such a thing as a civilized 440 kilometer helper, 1600 horsepower car, this is it. So, um, so you're going to enjoy. So, so in, in, in your career, like going back to when you were doing Group C, the Le Mans cars, actually, is there anything that you can relate to this vehicle in terms of your race vehicles? Do you know, it's so weird. So when I retired, so around about sort of 2011-12, I, I was, uh, I'd been racing for professionally for more than 30 years, so I kind of was ready to, to not be doing it anymore, regularly anyway. Um, and I thought, well, I'll, yeah, Bugatti were looking for somebody, so I thought, yeah, but I'm not going to be able to drive anything as really cool as an LMP1 car again. And I jumped in, the first, it was Veyron at the time. Yeah. I thought, Hang on a second, I have to do a double take. How can a car be that fast? It's faster than a Le Mans car in terms of acceleration. So, of course, from then, it's just got worse and worse. I mean, Chiron 1500 and now Chiron 1600. The acceleration is absolutely epic. It's really Because the, so, so the Le Mans cars you were drawing, like the Jaguar, say the XJ, so it was the XJ12, um, XJR. XJR 9, 12, um, and then of course we had the 11 yes. in Europe, which was the, the turbocharged version, the V6 turbocharged. So, what was happening with the V12? It was a lovely engine, but we were being beaten by cars that could turn the boost up for qualifying. Yep. So, in the end, they, they thought, well, the only way to go is a turbo car. So, that, that little V6 in qualifying would put out 1100 horsepower, which was really quite a lot of power, yep. and still is. Um, but at the end of a couple of qualifying runs, uh, you have two sets of qualifying tyres, you've already stretched the head bolts, all the water's come out, and the engine's uh, ready for a rebuild. So you then fast forward, and that was early 90s, you now fast forward to early 2020s, you've got another 500 torques power on top, and it's good for two or 300,000 kilometres. Yeah. So, and you can drive it around on the street yeah, like very comfortably exactly yeah as we found out I mean, and that was one of the things that really blew me away when we drove the, the first year on in Portugal was we were driving through villages I remember we stopped at the local gas station to top up yeah, and then we just yeah. we plotted on through town that's it like we're driving a you know a Bentley Continental or something you know GT or something like that yeah um, and yet it's got the performance of, of the cars that you drive at your absolute peak of your career and at, at the at, 
Le Mans, you know, one of the most famous tracks in the world. Yeah, I mean, certainly in terms of, you know, horsepower and acceleration, that's absolutely true. And if you'd have told me that back then, I'd say, okay, this guy's been on something, you know? Something wrong, but so it is it's remarkable. And also, um, the ease of driving is something you would have got from that road drive. Mm. It's all very well having something that was parallel, but it's not talking to you and, and, and helping you. You have a also you've got nothing. Yeah, it's an amazing machine. So we're coming onto the straight now. What I'll do? So that's first gear. I'm just going to tread on it, and so you can feel the traction. Just on a 50k. Now. I'm just getting goosebumps. That's crazy. At the end of that run, the the, the Sheeran has these little dials that tell you exactly what you uh, what you recorded, and we delivered 1,593 horsepower by the end of that straight. Just there at uh, 267 kilometres an hour, it was completely flat. We started at just under 50 kilometres an hour at the final turn. For those of you who know the Dubai Autodrome straight, and we ended up, as I said, at 267 kilometres an hour, well past the usual race car braking mark. Um, it was just. Uh, uh, sorry, well before, I should say, the usual braking car, race car braking mark because it is, at the end of the day, uh, a street car with road tyres and all that sort of thing. Here's how the rest of the drive went, and believe me, it gets faster, it gets more exciting. We'll speed it up a little bit on the next lap. The way that it feels and the, the way that it, you know, for something this heavy, lets you position the car, mm. I think it's pretty impressive. Then, Particularly uh, through here because it's you need a kind of nicely balanced car through this particular corner here yeah. to get the power on before you... Exactly, yeah. yeah. But he switches back one way, the other way, the other way, and so. So now we're in third gear now, so we're just getting going down there. Breathing through here just because maybe it's a good idea. <laughs> this is quite a long corner, isn't it? Yeah. It's the, the, the mile we're coming through in about 90 kilometers now to yeah, apex late. Pretty, pretty well. It's a tricky one on the exit. Yeah, it, tries, it, it tries to spit you. It does, not it? You go more <laughs> left than you want. So you have to wait till you get pretty much straight before you go full throttle, obviously, but then it really drags the speed off. Wow, so that was 282 at the end of the front straight. Yeah. And 1614 PS. 1614 horsepower. <laughs> At 6,960 revs. That's it. You're asking a lot to pull the car this way than that way, buddy. Oh, absolutely. It does absolutely. It? Yeah, it really drags the speed off, and a lot of that is the air brake, to be honest. Yeah. Just nibbling a bit of the uh, ESP. We'll do a full uh, slow lap. Yeah everything off and then we'll switch positions and see what you think from the from the driving seat. Phenomenal. I mean I, I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that this car has license plates yes. <laughs> and a full leather interior because I, I think in, in I've been coming to this circuit since it opened in 2004 and uh, either driving or in, in this kind of scenario in whether it be GT3 cars or the endurance cars or whatever I think that's the quickest I've been around here. That's crazy isn't it? Yeah. That's what I felt when I first joined the Rattios. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, How fast they are, so. The last really quick car I took around here would have been the 488 uh, GD3, which which belongs oh, yeah. down the road here. Yeah, uh, which is a good, good car. Yeah. Good car. And I'm just looking at the figures now, braking points and turn-ins, and it's, uh, it's a similar feel, but yeah. uh, but a lot more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, and the air blowing out and everything. 
yeah. cool. You can feel it if you do it for yourself. Just just the way that the car communicates to you from the steering. Yeah. A lot of four-wheel drive cars are quite weak on the front. Hey, you can feel yes. there's enough load on the front to, to put it where you want. Um, it's funny you say that. I just came back last week from the... Um, uh, did the totally different car, but similar in some way. What a remarkable vehicle that was. That was the Bugatti Chiron Supersport. Now, the Persport is uh, 1,500 horsepower, and we drove that car last year, and uh, it's lighter by 15%. It has shorter gearing, so it doesn't have the same top speed. It's only, only limited to 350 kilometres per hour, whereas the one that you just heard from there is is uh, limited to 440. Andy said that when it was de-restricted on the, uh, the Nardo Bowl in Italy, the high-speed bowl that the manufacturers use, he, uh, he touched 470 kilometres per hour out of that. Um, now, that car, the Super Sport, is a 1,600 horsepower. It's the long tail. It's about 25 centimetres longer, 0 to 200 kilometres per hour, 5.8 seconds, 0 to 300 kilometres per hour, 12.1 seconds. The other one, as I said, the lighter one, the Per Sport, 0 to 200 kilometres per hour in 5.5 seconds, and, uh, it, and uh, just 60 of those were made. The staggering part, though, is the pricing: um, thirteen point three million dirhams for the uh, for the per sport, thirteen point seven million dirhams for the uh, for the uh, the super sport. And if you are interested, they will be on sale soon. <laughs> so there's um, they'll be coming through early next year. So uh, yeah, interesting stuff going on there. Um, Ali has texted in saying this is uh, getting confusing. It's like the Aventador models. How many Chiron models are there? Well, that's the thing. Bugatti have made the Chiron, and then they're making evolutions of it. They're making smaller versions of it, um, or rather lightweight versions of it and luxury versions of it. There's a few more to come. Um, the other thing too is that Bugatti is going electric, and that's the other big big issue that's that's going to be. Um, a part of the scene soon is that uh, they had an involvement with uh, with the Croatian company Rimac, and they'll be going to full uh, EV sometime. So this might be the last of uh, the full on internal combustion engine supercars that we'll see from from the likes of uh, of Bugatti. It's a remarkable piece of equipment. So there we go. That is um, a, an amazing vehicle. We got the chance to drive a once in a lifetime experience. But in the meantime. Do stick around. We've got more of Motormedia coming up. Fix it or flip it. Yep, we're going to tell you how much your car is worth and we'll give you some advice on whether it's worth keeping or selling or what to buy next. So how does it work? Well, it's pretty easy. We need details about your car. That is the make, the model, the year, the colour and the mileage. Send them to the ARN Play app. But the thing is, I'm not doing it all on my own. No chance for that because I've got the expert who's with us every time. And I'm now joined by valuation guru, Matthew Davison, who is the head of pricing at Algo Driven. Matthew, good morning. How are you today? What a packed week. Absolutely. Absolutely crazy few weeks. Um, But I heard that you've also been fairly busy. You've been shopping around for a new car. Now, we've always advised people how to buy secondhand cars. What's going on here? Well... 30 years in the game, and I've always advised people to look at a a second-hand car over a new car just because of the depreciation. But we talked a couple of years ago on Business Breakfast that due to the lack of new car sales at the end of the decade, so 2018, 19, and then zero virtually in 2020, we've had a situation now where we've got a shortage of, of good used cars in the market. So now 
probably for the first time, I would say, consider looking for a new car. And even I've been doing that myself. Yeah, so you went shopping for a new car. You visited a few showrooms. Tell us about your experience with the showrooms. (laughs) I don't report good news, unfortunately. So um, I I actually, this is a car that I know you've test driven in the past. I ordered, I went ahead and ordered the MG RX-8 Luxury because I think... I think it's so much car for the money. I mean, everything's in relation to what you're paying, but I think for 112K, that's probably up there with one of the best buys you can get. So I went ahead and actually ordered one, got quite excited, went to MG, put the order in, and several weeks later, they called me and they said, you know what, we're not bringing as many cars into the country as we hope, so we've cancelled your your order. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah. Um, Oh, wow. Come and get your refund. And I was like, no, no, nothing more than that. Just uh, really sorry, guy, come and get your refund. So that just really shell-shocked me. Um, so I, I thought, right, what's, a, what's the next best thing that I can look at? So I, I, I like the new Kia uh, Sonata. Mm, yes, yeah. I really like the design and everything. So I went to Kia, um, walked in, played around with the cars. Eventually, somebody came over and spoke to me. And I said, interested in the new Sonata, but I don't see one here. Yeah, we don't have one. Um, and uh, is it the V6 that you want? Because we won't get one. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is, this is encouraging. Oh I said, goodness. okay, what about the four-cylinder? And they said, well, you know, y- y- we might be able to get one. And uh, uh, we've got a few colors. I said, so what about that really nice platinum graphene with maybe a sand-colored interior? We can get you the platinum graphene, but you have to have a black interior. So I said, I'm buying a new car, and the benefit should be that you can choose at least the interior like versus the, uh, the outside color. And they said, no, not possible. It's, it's, you know, this is what you get kind of thing. So I'm really struggling now. I went next door to Hyundai to look at the Palisade, yeah. which I know, I know you know very well. And that has got a lovely – the luxury version of that has a lovely interior. Um, I was 15 minutes in the showroom, pretty much taking the car apart. Part. Nobody came anywhere near to me. So eventually I, I went over. I said, is there a sales prevention officer available? Because you don't seem to, <laughs> to want to sell, sell a car to me. And then um, they said, yeah, we, we've got a white one. I said, I don't really want white, whatever color options. Uh, we might be able to get you a gray one. And next to the Palisade is a big kind of sign with a beautiful blue Palisade on. And I said, that's the color I want. That is stunning. Uh, we don't do that color. Oh. But I said, you've got this huge placard next to the car so why have a picture of a white one then and they said well it is what it is i see you later type of thing so now i'm thinking the new car market is is just uh finished you know no one wants to help you or well, maybe uh, maybe this is uh maybe this is something that, that um as we we just touch briefly at the intro and we'll, we'll chat later on with with volvo about uh, online sales i mean would you would you buy a car then uh, online I, I was about to come on and say you know, to finish on that point, but I'll skip one more. So <laughs> I actually found salvation at Volkswagen. I went, I went and looked at the Terramont, which I've seen before. Yeah. I just went and chat, chatted to the guys and to see what deals were available. But you know what? In fairness, the Korean and the Chinese guys need to step their game up because the experience in Volkswagen, it's such a, an, another level. The guys were professional. I walked in, they, they knew exactly uh, how to approach me and, and talk to me about the car. They answered all my questions. So, you know, genuine feedback, that is how it's done. And, and, and fair shout to Volkswagen because that was a great experience. And they actually told me now that due to the used car shortage, trading your car in at the new car dealer is now 
a really great option because there's a shortage of used cars and you're getting much better prices, which I found yeah. interesting with trading. But to finish on your topic, yeah, I, I'm, I, you know, you look at the Tesla model, which was, you know, frowned upon a couple of years ago, ordering cars online, and now Volvo and, and others are, are following. It, it seems um, a much better option. Once you know the car that you want, you can configure it and, and, and get all your questions answered in a much more efficient way. Yeah, well, that's amazing feedback for all concerned. Um, and kudos to Volkswagen. And as you say, the others need to uh, perhaps t- take a leaf out of their books. But uh, yeah, interesting one. Well, let's go straight to the phone lines. We have Eamon on the line. He loves his trusty Lancer. Now, he wants to know how much it's worth now. And there's a story behind that Lancer. He's not the first owner, not even the second. Good morning, Eamon. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Tell us about the story with uh, with your Lancer. It's a I understand it's a 2009 model, about 239,000 kilometers. But there's a bit of a story with this one. Yeah, there is. Um, so uh, my aunt, who I originally lived with way back in the day when I first came to UAE, um, she bought it for one of her sons um, while he was in university. Uh, he moved on, graduated. A second son came back from the U.S. Um, and it was handed over to him. And uh, and then the sister joined university, so the sister had it for several years. And uh, so just recently, I, in, over the summer, unfortunately, had to sell my car for personal reasons. Um, everything's better now, thank God. But um, uh, and it happened that uh, the boys were buying her a new car as a graduation gift. So I said, "Hey, I'll take that Lancer off your hands." And I've been driving it for the last two months now. So um, my aunt, you know, she's passed away, unfortunately, several years ago. But um, it seems like this gift she's gotten, it just continues to keep giving back. <laughs> I tell you, well, Lancers, they never die. They just can keep going on. Um, Matthew, at 239,000 kilometers for a 2009 Lancer. I, actually, I spent a lot of time driving a Lancer last year as a, as a, as a long-term rental. And it was a, it's a good thing. It does what it says in the tin. It's great to get you around town. Yeah, and what a great story. Um, that these cars, they kind of hit a bottom value, and that's around 10,000. I think with those kilometers, 10 to 12,000 is what that car would sell for. But, you know, when you find a good one and, and, and you maintain it regularly, you know, and, and, and the definition of that is just staying on top of the oil changes predominantly uh, and obviously keeping an eye on things that are important for your safety, like the brakes. But they just keep keep running and running. I mean, that car will probably give up another three or four years, I think. Um, but, yeah, 10 to 12K in terms of value. What do you think, Eamon? How, how does that sit with you? Yeah, it's all right. I mean, uh, as he mentioned, it's, it's done no wrong so far. And... Uh, I'd say my only complaint, the pickup, I'm, I'm quite a heavy guy. I'm about six foot tall, 183 uh, centimeters. So getting in is very difficult. And then the minute I put push the gas, it doesn't go anywhere. So I've been getting bullied quite a bit. But um, <laughs> it's been almost interesting. It's like a social experiment for me, just seeing how people react. Um, uh, even, you know, I'll be in there suited up and I'll get some really funny looks, um, you know, in the Lancer. So... I'd say that's probably my one big complaint, uh, the lack of pickup. But the petrol, the gas mileage is amazing. I mean, 60 dirhams fills up the tank, and it lasts me a whole week. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's to be honest, like, you know, if I didn't have a family, I'd probably, I'd probably keep it for another five years. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Game. Well, thanks very much, and uh, I wish you all the best with that one. Um, Appreciate it. <laughs> on the line now we have uh, Matthew. Now, Matthew, you have a Nissan Patrol, is that correct? Oh, that's right. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, uh, yes, uh, it's a 2013 uh, Nissan uh, Patrol SE. 
done 150k i just took it to the service station you know so i was on the metro coming back and i was listening to the radio so i thought why not let me just give you a call so you said this it's had a few issues um you want yeah. to work out whether you want to keep it or sell it and 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 what is the alternative in the was it 200 250000 dirham range i think you're looking at uh i'm not sure so uh, i like uh, the uh, lexus uh, that uh, what is that uh, the GS, the, not the, the GS. The GX, uh, LX, Matthew, what, what, uh, Matthew Davison. What, we got all these Matthews on the line. Matthew Davison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> 2013. Yeah, look, let, let me address first of all what a great guy. <laughs> another, another Matthew on the line. Um, but look, this, this car, the SE uh, 2013, still a desirable car. With those kilometers, I would say the value is about 65, 70. Um, okay. you're, you're probably thinking of something like. Um, yeah, you could go with a GX four sixty, something like that. That would be um, that would be a great car to swap out. I mean, Lexus just okay. uh, are starting to refresh all their lines as well. Um, so you've got a lot of new cars coming out of Lexus, which might put a little bit of pressure uh, on the uh, the previous models. So I, I would say it depends on your timeline. You, you might be able to hang on for a few months and and might pick up one a little bit cheaper if you're looking for a free four year old uh, Lexus to replace the Patrol. Yeah, n- uh, not exactly uh, in the sense that, you know, I would prefer to go for a second-hand one rather than a brand-new one, you know, but given, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, the question is that, you know, I just took my car to the service station. Obviously, there's a problem with the starter, the switch, you know, uh, some of the minor minor issues, you know, which comes up over a period of time. So, uh, yeah, so if you say that, you know, it's, it's worth keeping it, then I would prefer to keep it because it's a good car, you know, it's so far uh, the last eight years. Huh? I did not have much of issues. Well, well, just just remember the cost to change a car. Forget the the value of the car. Every time you go and register a car at the RTA, you're looking at a thousand dirhams. By the time you've yeah. paid the the registration fee and the testing fee, so the cost to change a car before you look at anything else is a thousand dirhams. Um, look, if you like this patrol, um, spend a couple of thousand dirhams and get those things that that, that are niggling and, and get them fixed. Um, and enjoy the car for a couple more years. But as I said, if, you, if you're interested in Lexus, they are bringing out most of the, the refreshing, a lot of their lines. So I think in, in, in the next 12 months, you'll see downward pressure on, on the, the, the previous model. So maybe drive this for another year and then look at your options. Yeah, sure. Okay, thanks for the advice. Yeah, it, it's worth Brilliant. Th- thank, thank you very much, Matthew. And, um, and, and the other Matthew will keep you on the line because we've, uh, <laughs> we've got more Fix It or Flip It coming up. Fix It or Flip It. Now, it's very simple. Tell us about your car. Tell us what it's worth, how much it's worth, and uh, how does it work. Well, it's easy. We need the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. And uh, we've got Matthew Davison, Head of Pricing at Algo Driven, back on the line. And... Uh, Matthew, I've got one for you straight up. It's a text message, and this is a. Um, it, it refers a little bit to what you were just saying just before about the dealership exp- uh, about the sorry the used car values. Now this is a 2018 Honda Jazz. Um, it's uh, red with 35,000 kilometres, and uh, the the texter says, my husband said that we could make a small fortune by selling it and buying an older car. He says that all second-hand cars in recent years have gone up in pricing. How in demand is the Honda Jazz? And, cut to the chase, how much money can I make by selling it? Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about a small fortune, but um, certainly in the last 12 months, a lot of the, the, the popular cars 
have seen shortages, which has obviously um, created a supply and a demand issue. I mean, an 18 Honda Jazz um, with normal kilometers, let's say, I don't know, 10 to 15,000 a year, should be anything between 45 and 50,000 dirhams. Yeah, okay. To answer, yeah. But, but the scarcity of them is, is the point. Um, I, there isn't many around. Yeah, that's, there isn't yeah. many Honda Jazzes around. And they're that, they're that nice kind of entry to mid-entry level car where, you know, you, you, when you first get here, it's, it's reliable, it's safe, easy to resell. Um, but, yeah, I think, I, know, I don't know what, what they paid for it, but that's, that's approximately what it's worth in the market right now. Yeah, and I know someone who's had one has clocked up probably about 300,000 kilometres too and, a, and has been to the desert. It's th- th- those things just go forever. So, uh, yeah, um, 35,000 is, is, a, is a drop in the ocean, I think, for, uh, for a Honda product of the 2018 era. Um, now, I've got a, a text message from Justine, and Justine has a Mazda CX-9 2015 model. It's blue, 225,000 kilometres, single owner and no accidents. So I can I can tell you now this is a car that is very much in demand at the moment um, because of the seven seats. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a Mazda, reliable, relatively affordable to service. But the, the, I haven't been seeing much of these around either. And that, the only downside with this is there are a lot of kilometers. In a normal market, that might actually um, be a struggle, but it will still sell because of the scarcity of the cars. I think the value is probably down around because of the kilometers about 33 34,000 dirhams something like that but it still will sell relatively quickly because of the fact you can move seven people around yeah you know seven seaters this seems to be the key to sales success every manufacturer who's who's building an suv now is desperate to to add a third row of seats it's just a thing that ticks the box and that and that's something you've got to think about when you if you want to get some of your money back when you go to sell it even if you don't need that third row i think it's a it's a fairly safe bet to get the similar size vehicle anyway with the third row option because you're probably going to sell it a lot faster well, the dynamic here is different because look, most of uh, the people here, even if they don't have a family of more than four, we all get visitors, particularly in the winter. Yeah. So when you, ha- when you have family come over, you've got a, a large trunk space when, when you've not got visitors because the seven seats are down or the, the, you know, the six and the seven seat are down. And then when they come, you've got the ability to you know, go out together as a family. So I think that's, that's one of the drivers of this. That, that you don't necessarily need seven seats all the time, but there's, there's parts of the year where, where it comes in so handy. So as you say, why not have it? Yeah, exactly. And and uh, um, from from close family, I can tell you exactly. And it was that, in fact, that car my, um, that uh, my brother had a CX nine for that reason for when the for when the, the parents visit town. So uh, yeah, uh, very very good thinking. Um, now I've got Mark, who's also texted in. He has a uh, a Yaris hatchback, two thousand fourteen, white, full service record, one hundred thousand kilometers. Yeah, look, Yaris is fly, don't they? I mean, it's yeah. um, it's it's another entry level car. So although they don't cost much to start with, they 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 depreciate the first couple of years, and then they they really plateau out. What did you say the kilometers were? Uh, ex- right on a hundred thousand. That's, I mean, that's really good kilometers as well yeah. for a fourteen. I mean, that if it's say the sport option or the SE, um, that will vary difference in price. But I mean, the SE would probably be be. 23 24 but you'd get up to 28 to 30 for the sport option yeah yeah i'd agree with that yeah uh martin's also buzzed in he has a porsche Cayenne 2014 195 kilometers should he buy it or should he uh should he should he buy or sell 
In fact, hang on, I think we've got Martin on the line. He's just uh, just dropped in. Uh, Martin, good morning. Yeah, very good morning to you too. Good morning. You've got the Porsche Cayenne, I believe. Yeah, black uh, Porsche Cayenne, uh, premium edition. Uh, it's in, in, in good shape, uh, 195 on the clock and uh, and still going strong but you know it's it's tempting now to to start switching it's 2014 model so it's seven years old yeah well, so matthew what do you think keep it or flip it well this is the age where um, i mean porsche do do uh, a warranty up to 10 years but if it's out of warranty these things can start to to go wrong and start to cost you money um which is why that that warranty is is so valuable um but because of that reason, I would say it is a very, very good time to sell it. Um, you know, that's the V6 engine uh, with those type of kilometers. It's probably early 100,000, the value. Yeah. I would say like 100 to 105,000. Um, but the, the only thing that I would say is around 2014, Porsche put a lot, bought a lot of Cayman GTSs into the market and put them out on these um, – payment plans with balloons and, and they also did a lot of leasing so there's a lot of gts's which is a superior trim v8 4.8 engine knocking around that does affect sometimes the prices of the v6 so um just consider that in mind that you might need to maybe drop it if you don't get initial interest below 100 something like 99 95 000. How, how does uh, that? Fair, fair enough yeah brilliant so what do you think you might uh Hang on to it, or are you are you're looking at something else? Well, I'm just in the uh, in, in the same boat as, uh, as Matthew, as you know, and looking around for for new cars as well, which uh, which seem to be hard to get uh, to get by. I mean, I've been to a couple of dealerships as well, roaming around, and it's yeah. everywhere the same story. There's there's a lot of waiting before you get what you want, or there's very few choices. Yeah, for but, sure. You know. The, the, the mileage it is almost reaching the 200k is making me you know uh, think of, of, of selling it out in the market yeah yeah fair enough all right well that's uh, giving giving you some some food for thought um, thanks very much uh, for that Martin uh, we've got uh, Anamika who's text, texted and has a uh, Mitsubishi Pajero 2018 first owner registered in 2020 57,000 kilometers mid-range um, how much can they get for that one and can you also suggest a hybrid car that uh, that they can buy well in terms of the Pajero this is a hot ticket at the moment you know Damien they've stopped making the Pajero now yeah and and at 18, there, there wasn't, as we, as we discussed earlier in the show, 19 and 20, there wasn't that many sold uh, of a- any cars, full stop, you know, not just the Pajero. So the 18 now become very desirable. And with those sort of kilometers, I would put that out on the market at 75, 80 at least, mm. um, where, you know, you go back a few years ago, and that wasn't far off what they would have paid for it new. Um, but that that is definitely definitely uh, a hot ticket and you're going to get a lot of people that try and lowball you a little bit particularly freelancers and people that trade cars for extra money um they will tell you oh you know your car's worth 60 65 which probably makes sense in a normal market but start it off higher hold your ground and and look for um look for a, a, another you another person that's going to be the end user yeah yeah sure uh now we've got a 
another Martin on the line this time. Um, it's he, Martin has a uh, Ford Explorer, seven years, one hundred twenty-five thousand kilometres. Um, top spec, trade in or sell it direct. Uh, good morning, Martin. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. So you got your Ford Explorer, and you're, you're wondering yeah. about whether to trade it in or, or sell. Yeah, we did. We did. We extended the warranty a couple of times, but I think it's just probably at that point where things maybe could go wrong and just we're, we're thinking what should we do with it and the question i had was is it you know better to sell it direct through one of the, the many channels you can do that with or trade it in if we were going to go for another ford or maybe something else with another garage but what would you recommend what do you think what's man? the what's the year you did you say it's seven years old so 14 yeah 2014 that's right yeah xlt what's the trim uh, all leather interiors, you know, very nice. All the sort of ga- electronic gadgets you could wish for. Been well looked after, full service history, everything. Uh, it sounds like the Limited. Is it the Explorer Limited? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, th- this is a nice car. I think I think the, the market value of it is around 70, 70. Um, to answer your question about selling it, you will always get the best value when you sell it yourself privately finding finding somebody else like you and there's plenty of families that you know we talked about the desirability of seven seats um and and being the limited with all of the extra gadgets and toys and being leather easy to clean and when you've got the children in the car um you know i would be posting this first of all on social media and on and let your work colleagues know and neighbors and everybody else that this car's for sale because that is going to be very desirable um, you know, you've got your your Facebook groups, tradition, you know, expat groups and, you know, Brits in Dubai and all these types of, of, of groups where there's every day people are asking for this type of car. So I think the value around 70 and, and, and then start um, sending out some some lines to see if you can uh, hook somebody that way, which doesn't cost you anything. Perfect. How did that sound, Matthew? Great. Brilliant. Well, the, well there you go. And um We've got um, a two thousand, uh, yeah, two thousand seven Discovery Sport on the road. Two thousand driven on the road in late two thousand seventeen. Driven by Altair executive for a few months. We bought it in June two thousand eighteen, with thirty eight thousand kilometres on the clock, and it now has one hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, no issues. Uh, the turbo went recently, but has been fixed. Is it the beginning of the road or the end? And should I keep driving it? Uh, this is uh, also from Claire. Yeah, I mean, that car comes as standard with a five-year warranty, which is extendable for a further two years. So, I mean, I would look at that option if you're concerned about things going wrong. If for whatever reason that's not possible, like there's been a service interval missed or something, um, then and you, you do have a little bit of anxiety about the car, then it's always best to move on from it because you shouldn't ever have uh, those feelings about your car. If it's the HSE trim, which most of them were that, that come here, with those sort of kilometers, I think – around 92 to 95,000 is the value. Yeah. Um but it, my, but my advice is if you can extend the warranty I would do that and then that takes away what seems to be the pain point for you and you can enjoy the car for maybe another 18 months, 2 years longer. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Stick around, we've got a lot more coming. Fix it or flip it. There we go. Matthew Davison on the line from uh, from Algo Driven.
Uh, Matthew, it seems to be the morning for Fords. We've got a Ford Fusion 2014 white, 160,000 kilometres, um, basic but spotless, and in GCC spec car. Great car for sort of pounding the highways, you know, going between the Emirates. And another car that at the price point will, will sell well. I mean, that car is with those kilometers around 24, 25K. Um, and somebody will snap that up pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, just just hold your price around that because if it doesn't sell within a few days, I'll be very surprised. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and again, we're talking about Fords today. I don't know, but uh, we've got another one here. Hi, team. I have a Ford Edge Sport Limited 2014. Uh, it's a pearl white, 108,000 kilometres, and wishes to sell. Please let me know the value. This comes from Mike. Yeah, um, again, great car. I mean, Ford, it's the Ford show today. I mean, <laughs> it is, if, if, we don't, if, we don't, if we don't get coffee and cake after the show, <laughs> I'll be very disappointed. Um, but that, that car, um, did he say limited or do we didn't have the trim? Uh, yes, yeah, Sport Limited. Ah, great, top of the line car, probably fifty-five k, um, and that that is desirable. Lever all the toys. Yeah, yeah, they seem to um, they they seem to do they they do hold their value, don't they? The Ford Edge. It's just one of those cars that it kind of ticks so many boxes for families, and and if you want a, a bit of a weekend car as well. Yeah, it's it, they sit in between, don't they, the American cars, between effectively, I'm talking about specifically our region here, the Middle East. You've yeah. got the Japanese, which which seem to sit at the top in for lots of reasons. Then you've got uh, particularly the Fords and, uh, from, from the American perspective, and then filters down to the sort of Koreans and, Japan, um, and Chinese. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Ford, Ford is the quintessential expat car. It's, <laughs> it, does, it does what it says on the tin. Yeah, and we're not finished yet. Um, we've got uh, Kenneth on the line. Guess what he's selling? He's selling a, a 2016 Ford Explorer Sport model. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Kenneth. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, thank you. So yours is a 2017 model. Tell us a little bit about it. It's 2016 model. 16, sorry. In two, purchased 2017. Still under five-year warranty, still under five-year service contract. Um, 62,500 on the clock. Um, sport edition, rusty red. I'm looking for resale value, really. There you go, Matthew. Keep the Ford book open. Yeah, and great that you've got the warranty on that as well. I mean, that, that is the top of the line car. I mean, that, that new, I believe, you might be able to correct me, Damien, was around 180K. Yeah. Um, that car will still be pushing towards 100K, maybe 95, 100K. And again, it's going to sell quickly. There won't be many sports, um, 2016 Explorer Sports, under warranty on the market. So, um, yeah. I would say 100K at least. Wow, okay. That's, uh, I've actually got it on the market less than that, so maybe I need to pull it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it's, going, it's, it's going to sell. I mean, if you've got it under 100, I'd be surprised if you don't sell it quite quick. Um, get some great photos in, in, in there. And in the headline of the advert, make sure you mention warranty in the very first part of, of the, the headline because that is your absolute top-selling feature. How does that sound, Kenneth? Thank you, guys. No, really good, really encouraging. Um, I have to have a think about whether I keep it on at what it's on at the moment or, or pull it and re-advertise. Re, re Brilliant. No, fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And, uh, and, and Matthew, we, we haven't finished yet. yet. Uh, we've, we've got yet another Ford. 
<laughs> it's a 2006. I actually like this one. 2016 Ford Ranger Wild Track, 140,000 kilometres. Um, that's all the information I have. Looking for a value. I like these. These are Ranger Wild Track. Really, really nice uh, uh, mid-size pickup. Yeah, I mean the the, the Explorer. You, I believe the Ranger morphed in from the the Explorer that used to do the pickup. It used to have an Explorer pickup. Yeah. Um, but the range the Rangers are really, particularly the Wild Track. I mean, they're very desirable here, uh, and I see a lot of them heading up to to you know to rack to the mountains and, and going into the desert. They are very capable vehicles. Uh, in terms of value, I, I think that's into the eighties. You know, yeah. if it's a 16, probably 80, 82,000, something like that. Um, it's probably the orange one because all I ever, whenever I see the wild track, they, I, they do one other color, I think. But most of them, I think I've seen one red before, but mostly all of them are the orange, that sort of sunset orange color. Yeah, I've had a couple of press vehicles both here and in Australia, and they've, they've both been that color. So, uh, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I think um, there's a market for it. You know, there's a, there's a market now for, we talked about it with Interchangiado last time about the, the uh, uh, pickups getting smaller and, and the market for midsize rather than the full big ones in this region. And I think that's a, uh, a classic example. So um, we've got one here from Manzi. Now, Manzi's looking at buying a, a new RAV4. I'm assuming it has a current RAV4 right now. How much do you think we can get for my trade-in? It's a 2008 model with 240,000 kilometres. Um, Margie's being very honest here, has rust on the bumper, a crack in the windshield, and once in a while the engine check light comes on because of battery or electric issues. Otherwise, it runs great and the interior is great. So uh, 2008, 240,000-kilometre RAV4. Yeah, look, that's going to be an irritation as a trade-in to Toyota because, of course, they're not going to want to resell that car. So that will go straight to a sub-dealer. Um, so yep. everyone's making a bit of money in that chain. Um, you're far, far better off just putting that out on, um, you know, social media and the popular car selling websites and managing it, managing yourself and putting it at, at, at a fair price. I think the value with those kilometers is around 18 to 20,000. Yeah. And it will, yeah. it will sell relatively quickly because, um, this is, you know, small to mid-sized car that, that, um, sits a little bit higher than a sedan and, and people like them. And they know they're reliable and they can service them and run them quite cheaply. So uh, don't trade it because I'll be surprised if they even give you 10 to 12K. Um, it might even be less than that. So um, put it out on the popular sites. Manage it yourself. It'll sell quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100% correct on that one. They will always run. Uh, but, yeah, just uh, if you do want to get in touch, we've got a quick one here. Land Cruiser 4.6 VXR 2017, 90,000 kilometres driven, full options, looking for selling value. 17? Seven, uh, 2017, yes. Yeah, so the VXR is, is the most desirable trim. You know, you've got the EXR, the GXR. Yep. But VXR, 5.7, V8, fantastic vehicle. Um, very, very desirable. Even though the new model, Land Cruiser, Land Cruiser, is out now, that car will still be 175, 180,000 dirhams. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is Fix It or Flip It. You're listening to Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, I'm Damien, and this is a bit of Fix It or Flip It. 
and uh, Matthew Davis, and head of pricing from Algo Driven, is with us. And Matthew, we have one here. Two thousand. Let's get straight into it. Two thousand seventeen Mazda CX five Silver full service history with Mazda. One hundred ninety five thousand kilometers. Ninety uh, percent of it was done highway driving to from Dubai to Russell Hammer. I've owned it since brand new. Uh, it's still on the original brakes all round. What's it's worth? Still on the original brakes? Yeah, 2017. <laughs> yeah, no, to I be mean, fair, there's uh, not, not too much to jump on the brakes between here and Raqqa. I, I, I was just going to say, <laughs> it, it sound, initially you'd think that would sound crazy, but when you're on the highway, you're, you're putting very little brakes. Uh, you know, if you're driving, you know, leaving a distance between the car in front, you're actually not using your brakes much. So it's very possible it's on its original brakes. Yeah. Um, but, but that is a lot of kilometers for a 2017 um, you know, and you're you, you're going to get people that will still want that car, but they'll they'll beat you down because of that. I think in terms of value, probably forty five to fifty k. I would consider keeping it simply because you know how you've looked after it, and you know it's a great car, and you've maintained it, etc. But if you did wish to sell, I think forty five fifty. Yeah. Yep, fair enough. That sounds that sounds okay. Uh, Rachel has also uh, texted through. She has a 2015 Mercedes GL 500, uh, 30, 39,000 kilometres. Second owner, no accidents. Looking for the resale value. Yeah, these are these are another um, great family car, aren't they? Is this yeah, one also yeah. a 17? Uh, 2015, so a little bit older. GL 500. Yeah, there won't be much of those on the market. And I think um, what you've got to do with these cars is really highlight any particular features you've got with it. If you have maintained it, serviced it out there. I mean, value-wise, around 160, 165, I would say is the value. Yeah. Um, particularly uh, if it's been looked after and maintained well. Um but, yeah, highlight all the great features of that car, particularly if it's AMG trim. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it wouldn't be fix it or flip it on Motomania without a Lexus thrown in. So we've got Rania, who's got a Lexus LX570 Silver, uh, 2017 also, but very low kilometres, 21,000 kilometres since 2017. Yeah, we were, we were talking earlier on about the Lexus, and, and these cars, they're you know, Toyota's premium brand, of course, but they're such a great car. And, and they sell so well here as well. Um, 17 model with those type of kilometers, I would imagine still is holding its value very, very well. LX570, um, maybe 260, 265, something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wait. Um, on the line. No, not yet. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll cover it. We've got RJ's got a 2016 Ford Mustang with 33,000 kilometers. It's blue. Uh, always with the Mustangs, it would be great to know if it was uh, US specs or not. Um, it's a 14, yeah? Uh, 16. Yeah, because the, the difference in value, because most of the US specs, and, and that's a warning to everyone that come into the market, unfortunately, uh, I think 9 out of 10 at Algo Driven, we have an inspection company called Axel, and we inspect cars every single day, and 9 out of 10 of the imported Mustangs have had accidents. Um, and quite serious ones as well. But if it's GCC, then then it will hold its value quite well and will be around 75, 80 if it's the uh, the five litre, the V8. Yeah, yep. And we've got uh, Jay, who's got a uh, 2009 Range Rover Vogue HSC, 115,000 kilometres with uh, full service. Yeah, I mean, that's an old car now. Um, you, you, you look yeah. at... Um, 
that is the the oldest you know now now you'll talk about the new range rover coming up but that's that's basically a three generations back now um and they're they're very tired and they don't sell for much money 33 34,000 yeah yeah fair enough um now we've got we'll try again we've got farina on the fariha on the line um good morning for here good morning good how are you very good thank you very good what what do you have for us this morning all right so i have a 2017 model lexus rx350 um it's a bit it's a bit high on the mileage so about 130k kilometer okay and uh uh but you you would like to sell it privately rather than through a dealer correct Yes, I, I'd like to, but I don't want to do the whole jazz of putting the pictures up and doing the viewing. Um, I'd rather go to, let's say, in my, I mean, I was doing some research. I just want to know who would be the best, what would be the best option uh, to sell to, let's say, sell any car or the automall or, I mean, just need your professional opinion. Well, our hand is over the professional opinion of uh, of Matthew. <laughs> yeah, morning, morning. Did you say it was a 2016 RX 350? 17, 17. 17, yeah. But th- this car, I-, I think the first thing I do, because it's still a 17, um, is you can look. It won't harm you to ask um, Lexus for a price for it because the um, the branded dealers, as I said earlier when I was speaking to, to Volkswagen and also Audi, told me the same um it's a good time to at least get a price from them from them as a barometer i mean i i can tell you the value now of, of a 17 rx350 with those type of kilometers is about 135 140 so wow when you when you look at what they would offer you that will give you a good barometer i think you should look at maybe a managed service to sell it so you've got yeah. a lot of a lot of places that do consignment selling uh, for example, uh, Expat Motors, um, RMA, uh, they both do it. So they'll sell it on your behalf, but just take a small commission, um, but but you'll still own the car. They'll do all the hard work for you. So I, I would potentially reach out to, to the likes of uh, Expat Motors, RMA, people like that, and see what they think they can sell it for. Um, and I would also contact Lexus and see what, what they would offer you um, as a value to, to take that car. Thank you. That's really good advice because I, I wasn't aware of these two. So thank you so much. Brilliant. Well, that. I, hope that, uh, I hope that helps make your decision. Oh, yes, it does. It does. I have some research to do. So Brilliant. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much, Faria. Uh, we've, got, um, we've got another forward for you. It's... <laughs> It's a 2011 Ford Escape XLT, XLT in blue, 107,000 kilometres maintained at the dealer till now. 12, did you say? A 2011. Oh, okay. Look, this, this really, uh, I think Ford needs to sponsor this show um, <laughs> because it's, it's turned into the Ford show. It's like when you, when, you, when you say, I never see a yellow car, and then you go outside and you see 100 yellow cars. I think it's one of those things. Everybody's hearing Ford, so they're calling up with their Ford. So I'm, I'm only giving Ford a, a, a bit of a, a, a comical <laughs> hard time. Um, but, yeah, in terms of value with those kilometers, I mean, the escapes, 
around 18 20k with those kilometers yeah um being a 12 but um still still a, a great entry-level car um, and you can you can run them relatively cheaply as well yeah for sure and our and our last one before we're going to go to our speed quote moment and this is a 2014 infinity q50s full option 200,000 kilometers full service with the agency and no accident sounds all right to me uh, which was it q50 uh, q50s tw- 2014. Yeah, I mean, the only thing letting that down is is the higher kilometers, but um, mm. it's there's there's still a great little sedan that that runs around. I, I think you'd be probably more around forty forty two k because of the kilometers, um, but you know it's still a, it's still uh, an infinity. So yeah, get it out there forty two. I think you'll sell it. Yeah, for sure. Right, so now we're getting down to the speed uh, speed quote time, Matthew. Um, you've got to read read as fast as you can. Yeah, you know the read rules. Yes, I'll read as yeah. fast as I can. You've got sixty seconds. Uh, the last time you did uh, seven, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, do you think you can beat that? Let's see how we go. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. Let's do this. Okay, your time starts. Now, it's a Honda Pilot Maroon, full options, 2017, 144,000 kilometres. Ooh, a lot of kilometres for a 17, 75k. Okay, a Mitsubishi Pajero, 2014, white, 122,000 kilometres. So desirable, Uh, 42, 43k. Okay, Audi Q5, 40 TFSI S-Line, 2016, black, 67,000k. Oh, low case, that will still get 80k. Yeah, a Mini Cooper S Beige 2015, 66,000 kilometres. 63, 64K. Okay, Nissan Armada 2010, black, 203,000 kilometres. Oh, they're about 20K now. Uh, Toyota Camry 2014, white, 143,000 kilometres. 34, 35K. Uh, Ford Edge 2019, blue, 52,000 kilometres. Oh, lovely car, at least 100K. Okay, Honda Civic full options 2015 silver 83,000. I'm going to give you this one. Uh, full option 35. Oh, Matthew, you've hit number eight. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> Here we go. We've beautiful. got we've got eight through for that one. Fantastic effort. <laughs> yeah, you did it. You did your part as well. We were flying through then. <laughs> well, there we go. Um, that's uh, a fantastic effort for you, Matthew. Um, and I hope. Uh, uh, well, we've got one more question. Hang on, hang on. We've got one more question. Is, there's a, is there a car buying agent out there? I want to buy an S560 2019 in white, and I can't find one. I am wary of ones that are available in Sharjah. This is from Alistair. Yeah, look, if you're going to buy any car um, that, that you're particularly a little bit worried about, just get a car inspection, you know? We, we talked earlier uh, a few weeks ago about... Um, you know, you'll spend a few hundred dirhams on a car inspection. Then you've got experts not only checking the car, but they can give you a little bit of car advice as well. So um, get a get a pre-purchase inspection. I mean, the, the, what's in the market's in the market. You can't change that. The the internet has allowed us to look for inventory wherever it's hiding, but you just need an expert to go and check that car. So get a car inspection, and you'll be fine.
Yeah, brilliant. As always, Matthew, thank you so much. Uh, great effort. We got lots of texts that we didn't get through this morning, and uh, but we were going to keep those for the next show. But that's uh, Fix It for Flip It. And uh, up next, we're telling you all about all the cars that I've been driving and all the latest news stories in the motoring world with Imtashan Giado. This is Motomania on Dubai 103.8. This is Motomania on Dubai 103.8. Yes, welcome back to Motormania. I'm Damien Reed, and this is the second hour of the show. And we're also going to talk about all the latest motoring news with Imtashan Giado of Motoring Middle East, who's on the line now. Good morning, Imtashan. Good morning, Damien. Great to be back, as always. Has, absolutely. I'll tell you what, it has been uh, been busy the past few weeks. I caught up with you at the uh, the Range Rover launch, which we'll, we'll get on to in a few minutes, but how, how have you been? You've been uh, now with the cooler weather. You like the desert. You've been getting out a bit there? It has been a great time to go out, and I'm happy to see that people are back out in the sun enjoying themselves. The weather is a nice balmy 30 degrees plus in the morning, but not 40 degrees plus, which is, of course, a huge bonus. Uh, yeah, if you've got a 4x4, four four, now is the time to get busy, start deflating, and enjoy the other the excellent outdoors that we have in the UAE. And even if you don't enjoy hitting the desert, you can still hit the beach, can't you? Of course, yes, absolutely. You can take it, take it down the beach. Uh, a couple of news stories to get through today. This is an interesting one. This is a new partnership with uh, the Chinese retail company Alibaba. They're going to help our own RTA to monitor passenger movements and improve public transport systems. Now, the authority is going to use uh, the online shopping agency's AI platform to help develop Dubai's expanding public transport system. Uh, the agreement was signed earlier this week. Data collection will begin with bus users and then be extended to include taxis and the last mile mobility solutions. That's the term they're using now for things like e-scooters and bikes to get around, to park your car just outside the busy area and, and scoot on in. What do you think about the idea of, uh, of companies like Alibaba and using AI to, to help, is help move the public transport system around and maybe, maybe smooth up the roads a little bit? First of all, the RT has done a tremendous job in the last 10 years of getting everybody onto trains and buses and just generally getting them out of cars as much as possible. And frankly, without their support, we wouldn't have this amazing train and tram network that runs across the country now. Now, the question is, Mm -hmm. how do we get the last mile to really work for us? Because as much as possible, we want to reduce car usage. And that's where your scooters and bikes and e-bikes, I should say, come into play. Now, for a lot of people, they are using them. Certainly, if you wander around Dubai, you see loads of people on little scooters buzzing around. So there it's already has begun. Uh, are they licensed or should they be licensed? Is another difficult question to ask because you yeah. can see a lot of them not using them that responsibly. <laughs> so I think it's all, a lot of education can be done on the topic as well. I'm sure the RTA has plenty of ideas on how to make that happen. It's a global issue and, and for, uh, particularly for, for very congested areas such as uh, – you know, um, parts of Karama, Rulers Court, that kind of area where it's very hard to get cars and vehicles around. I can see that happening at some point where you park on the outside and, and then use the, the last mile options to, to get to where you need to go. Um, but, yeah, interesting to see that Alibaba is coming on board to, to help try and smooth the flow I think out. it's a great idea, Damien. I think I have a journalist friend, for example, who attends Pebble Beach every year. For those who don't know, it's a massive classic car event, probably the biggest classic car event of the global calendar. And obviously, during that week, the rich, the famous, the lovely, and uh, everybody else descends on this small town in America just to check out classic cars on this beautiful lawn. Now, you can imagine with all these cars and people, there isn't much point actually driving there. There no. isn't any point at all. And no bus networks works out great either. So a lot of clever people, including my journalist friend, pretty much get an electric scooter. 
Yeah. And that's how they get around. So, for example, think about this, folks. If you're going to GTEx, uh, why would you want to walk? Yeah. I, <laughs> Just I'm, buzz between there on an e-bike. You'll be responsible. You'll be ecologically friendly. Pop in and charge it anywhere. Obviously, for larger distances inside the halls, I wouldn't advise buzzing around on scooters. But certainly getting to it, there's no reason to take a car and put up with parking, etc. There's no need. I absolutely, absolutely agree with you on that one. Um, speaking of the rich and maybe not so famous or not wanting to be famous for this reason, there's a story also that came out, a Lamborghini that had to be fished out of an Austrian lake after its owner accidentally reversed into the water. Now, there's a reason why I'm bringing this up. There's method in this one. The 31-year-old motorist confused the brake and the accelerator pedal of his uh, 800,000 dirham Lamborghini Huracan that resulted in the car meeting its soggy end. He had just dropped off a friend and was reversing in a car park before the accident. He was able to swim to shore, but the vehicle sank into the lake and uh, the driver was taken to hospital, suffered only minor injuries. Now local police made a bit of light of the situation suggesting that he may have been auditioning for Daniel Craig's replacement as James Bond, thinking back to the Lotus Esprit um, submarine. But um, but it does make you think that there's we've had issues before about unintended acceleration, we've had issues before about these these e-selectors on transmissions where you have to sort of double tap them to put into park and sometimes you end up in reverse. I've actually done that myself. I can actually see a point why this guy perhaps may have done this. It's, it's a bit of trying to reinvent the wheel, isn't it? Like yeah. Tesla just did reinvent the wheel with, and they put a yoke instead of a steering wheel. Now, a lot of people obviously know that elect- uh, driving a car means putting it into drive, putting it into park and everything in between. But with these new gear selectors, it's just not that easy to figure it out. For example, your average BMW, it's sort of pull, pull again, yeah. and then hope that it goes into gear. You're looking at it. You're taking your eyes off the road. You're trying to figure it out. Now, this should be haptically designed so that there's feedback from the car, from the system telling you what you've done, but it often isn't the case. Now, with a Lamborghini, I have to point out the Italian cars off late. The whole point is that they're outrageous, look at me, etc. <laughs> so they can't have nothing, anything as simple as a gear stick. They've got to have bun- Of course, yeah. Um, but but that's the thing, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, the, 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 these issues with these cars. You've no, there's got... no excuse for not operating a car without understanding how your car works. No. I'm trying to say making a mistake. No, well, but it could have grave consequences. Now, the worst thing in this case is that he lost his very expensive automobile. But it could have been a lot worse. We all know the incident of the actor with the Jeep Grand Cherokee many years ago tragically passed away. These are things that automakers, who does responsibility die with? The automakers? Uh, regulators? What do you think, Damien? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a tough one, it's, uh, and I can't answer that in a few seconds. Um, <laughs> so, but I'll tell you what, one, one, one more quick one to go. The World Health Organization is kicking off a decade of action of, for, for road safety in Geneva with the ambitious target of preventing at least 50% of road accident deaths and injuries by 2030. Do you think that's achievable by 2030? It's a bold initiative, I'm a little cynical sometimes about how effective these things are because it's about getting driver education to change and increasing active safety, passive safety. I think the biggest thing manufacturers are doing without anybody telling them to do is making the cars safer. So it's hard to change people's natural behavior. But it isn't that hard to have systems that are looking out for them. How many cars now come with things like blind spot assist or active pre-collision safety so that they will actively brake in the event of an accident? I've been in accidents where obviously you you brake far too late and you go into the car behind. I don't mind admitting it. But if I had a system that would have protected me, it might have saved my blushes that day. So I think manufacturers are already ahead of the game in that respect. I think the target is achievable. 
it all depends on all of us doing our part. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a t- well, certainly it's better than a zero percent uh, target that some have set previously. So, I think fifty percent is uh, is potentially achievable. But we all have to play our part to make sure that works. That's manufacturers, government regulations, and us individuals as well. I would think you're listening to Motor Media on Dubai Eye one hundred three point eight. Driver's seat on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, welcome back. It's Damien Reed, and I'm joined by Imtisan Giado, the owner of Motoring Middle East. And uh, just to wrap up on that last topic, Imtisan, a text message from Stephen who said the responsibility for safe handover and vehicle operational training, he says, is 100% with the dealer. I think yes. that's a tricky one. I think it goes both ways. I want to say it goes with the dealer. Yeah. Part of that statement's right, isn't it? Obviously, the handover vehicle, and this opens into a larger topic, or should I say can of worms. When you get your car handed over, they should walk you through every aspect of it. Now, we know a lot of people are just so eager to jump into their ride and go off into the sunset, but you need to spend that 10 minutes. Well, it used to be 10 minutes in the old days, wasn't it? You just sit down, turn the key, spin the gear lever, and hope for the best. Now you've got all these computers. You've got infotainment. You've got safety systems you need to understand. You've got four-wheel drive systems in some cars. In the case of a Lamborghini, I'm a trained journalist, I like to think, and even I don't get anywhere near the kind of handover that I would expect in terms of how these systems work or what's different or what's changed from a previous model. So, yes, handovers definitely aren't where they could be. And I'm not pointing the finger at any particular manufacturer. I think it's across the board. I think a lot of um, customers also kind of create the problem by being in a big rush. I think they could stand to say, okay, I need maybe an hour of your time. To sit and work this out, or at least a course afterwards where you walk me through the car. Mind you, this is nothing to do with driving the car. This is just about how to operate it, which is two separate topics. Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, speaking of driving things, uh, I'm going to talk about a, a, a car that I drove in Greece last week, and this is the new Audi RS3. And um, there was no one really from our region there, but I, I snuck over courtesy of, of Audi Australia so uh, to do some work for, for down there. So never say no to an opportunity to drive a car. Now, the, the interesting thing about the RS3 is it's a pretty rare breed by today's standards because there was not one mention about electrification or hybridization or anything or anything else the car doesn't have those complications and, and the weight that comes with it it is purely just a fun car it's a two and a half liter turbocharged five cylinder engine that has this glorious firing order for the for, for the geeks out there it's the one two four five three firing order that is the thing that makes such an emotive sound from the rallying days when you think back to people like uh, walter roll michelle mouton in Group B rallying with the Audis, and it's through on this little RS3. Um, it is, I tell you what, Imtishan, this car is, it might have an A3 body, but it is a proper supercar performance. How about this? 3.8 seconds to 100 kilometres an hour, and depending on the drive mode, if you've got in the track mode, the, dyna- the RS dynamic mode, you can get 290 kilometres an hour out of this, uh, this little four-door car. Remarkable! Wow, two hundred and nineteen a car. That's two hundred and fifty standard, but you can, you, you can yeah. Well, it's standard, but you can click it through to a drive mode to two hundred and seventy, and then for the track only mode, because there's eight drive modes with this car, you can get two hundred and ninety kilometers an hour out of it. And something which Audis have not had before, because they understeer horrendously by normal standards, it has a drift mode because they've fixed the understeer problem. Yeah, I mean. 
about time Audi. Although I don't know, the last 10 years, they've kind of sorted out the handling. They've moved the engines back. They've played around with the things they need to mechanically. But yeah, I can't wait to get behind the wheels of these new Audis. They've just figured out everything. Yeah. They say they're exciting to drive, which is not something you'd say about fast Audis before. Well, I'll tell you what, I had fun with it. I really did, tipping it into some of these little tight roads up there. Now, the, the, the thing is, the reason why they've gotten rid of the, uh, the understeer, let's get it uh, just a tiny bit technical, is that they've created a torque vectoring rear diff that actually has a clutch on each axle on the rear diff. So rather than when you go into a corner, rather than have the ABS system pinch a front wheel or to, to try and bring the nose in, it applies torque to the other wheel. So if you're turning left, for instance, um, it actually applies torque and power to the outside right wheel and the other way around, um, up to 100% of torque to one wheel, which it can take. I mean, the, the Audi Boffins told me it can take up to 1,750 newton metres through one wheel. Remarkable technology on this little car, um, but the thing is, is it it makes the car stick and, and handle. It's uh, it's it's a it's a huge improvement. It's lost the crackle and pops which, from the exhaust, which I actually don't mind because you know they're artificial. But what it's done with this new new, new exhaust flaps is it's actually brought in this uh, this more guttural sort of five cylinder sound. Yeah, I think that that sound is just the thing you keep talking about, it and I keep agreeing and nodding my head. It's you need that sound. I think a lot of these. And I think Audi is responsible as anybody else. Yeah. Their four cylinders have been a little bit dull. I mean, they're all very powerful, etc. But yeah. the five cylinder noise, just don't hear it that often. It's like the V8 is going away, but I'm glad that it's still around. Yeah. And I'm glad that for one minute, we're getting a little break from electrification. Not I that I mind. It's just nice to have a it, breather. It's nice to have, isn't it? Because we're getting a lot of it, and but it's nice to have a bit of a break. And um, But we got back to the real world because then I, I went to Belgium for the Volvo C40 recharge. Now, I'm not sure where this car's coming here. Again, it was a, an Australian issue I was dealing with. So this is the, But this is the first time, though, a major manufacturer um, has uh, is introducing online sales. It's a step towards leasing by app. So you have an app which you download, and then you can lease and change cars around. Now, I had a bit of a chat with uh, Patrick Vent, who's the who's the head of sales uh, global online for Business Volvo, and he says that uh, you can drive a Volvo, and if you don't like it, you can get rid of it in ninety days. Let's have a quick listen to Patrick Vent. Basically, you sign up online, you can leave whenever you want with a three month termination period only. That gives customers the chance to switch to Volvo much easier than before because what they're used to is we offer them a lease, we offer them a finance and a cash. You can tell an average that requires them to stick to their car for at least three years, which is an average investment of 15 to 20,000 euros, which you could argue makes the switch barrier from another brand to us quite high. So we thought we should do what many brands and companies have done in so many other industries, lowered the commitment for our end customers to say we give you a new flexible ownership model okay okay where does the dealer come involved you see you, you you're running through a web portal or can you still physically see the car yeah you can still do both and that's important to mention we often speak about online sales and that might be misleading to some degree what we actually mean is that the transaction happens online you will always decide for yourself if you want to go to a retailer to take a test drive if you want to receive consultancy from a retailer and basically sign the deal at the retailership so there you go. Would would you buy a car online purely just through through a web portal? I don't think I would. Yeah. Uh, not being facetious, I don't think I would. Uh, a car is one of those things where I have to be there. I have to see if it fits and feels like something I'd want to be in every day. It's just like a good pair of shoes. You can shop for it on the internet if you bought from that shoemaker. We find loads of people who buy sneakers, for example. But 
if you're talking about something you don't know, then you do need to feel it out, don't you? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, you, you, you'd like to get the, the look and feel of it, but uh, I'm not convinced yet. Uh, now, let's scoot on to something that you and I are both at. We, we had a look at the new Range Rover, um, the new, uh, the, the, the big new Range Rover, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it. But before we do, let's have a listen to Bruce Robertson, the Managing Director of Land Rover, Jaguar Land Rover Middle East. I asked him about the new design and how they built something that is a luxury vehicle but it's also a great one to take into the desert. Into the desert. Let's have a listen to Bruce Robertson. I think our vehicles, you know, have always been drivers' cars. That for us is key. The luxury we've refined sufficiently well, and it is very good for the conditions in which we operate. There's enjoyment. There is functionality in terms of the vehicles. These cars are very, very capable vehicles. In fact, I'd go so far as to say it's probably the most capable vehicles in the desert. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's about getting that balance right. It's also about making sure that the cars are affordable in terms of people wanting to take vehicles of this nature into the desert. Where do you see the, the V8 engine, obviously, that's going to be popular amongst the traditionalists? Do you have any idea of, in terms of, of the splits? Of, of I do know what the splits are, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you. I knew you were going to say that, but I had to ask it. <laughs> I think it's fair to say the V8 engine for us is a fantastic engine. We've always said that we will engineer um, engines that our customers desire and want, whilst at the same time being responsible in terms of our, our commitment to the 2039 vision that we have around um, around being a zero emissions company. When do we expect to see them popping up in showrooms? The back end of quarter one next year. We will open now the order banks in the coming days for customers to place their orders, and we're hoping to see the first cars here before the end of quarter one. So that was Bruce Robertson, the Managing Director of uh, Jaguar Land Rover Middle East, at the global reveal held here in Dubai of the uh, the all-new Range Rover, fifth generation. What were, what were your thoughts after having a quick look at it the other day? Well, I think the design obviously isn't going to rock the boat because the Range Rover can only change so much. I think JLR played a little bit safe. They obviously leaned into sort of classic Villar design cues. Nothing wrong with that. Villar's a great-looking car. Um, the back is the part that's going to be a little bit controversial for some people. They've done a new boomerang-style taillight. Those of you who know the Maserati 4200 GT might smile a little bit here. And certainly, owners of the Kia Telluride can rest easy, knowing that they have a fan at JLR. Um, I think it's a great-looking car. I think uh, they haven't really changed too much of it, but under the skin, they modernized it. There's an electric version coming. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and the V8 is actually what's the only part that makes me sad. Because they had a lovely, woofly V8 Jaguar, or JLR, the 5.0 supercharged unit, and a 5-liter natural aspirated version as well. And now we have a BMW engine, because obviously they have a type of BMW and a 4.4. And it's a very, very powerful engine, and nothing really wrong with it. But the Jaguar Land Rover version had so much character. To go back to your earlier point about Audi, the JLR 5.0 was just such a nice... You knew yeah. when you drove a car like that that you understood that it was built by people who design cars to feel aggressive and fun yeah. and effervescent. And the BMW one is just much more refined and calm and effortless. Yeah, we'll see in time. We'll see how it goes. I personally, I love the, I love the styling of it, um, and I can't wait to see what it's going to look like in the wild out in the desert. Uh, but speaking of which, that's about all we've got time for, unfortunately, at the end. So um, thank you so much. And uh, what are your plans for the weekend? Oh, get out there and keep fixing my car like every other good mechanic here. Brilliant. Well, thank you. In the Shanjata, Motoring Middle East. We'll see you in uh, in two weeks' time. And, uh, yeah, we've got more coming up after this. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8.
Yes, we're with you for a little bit longer now through to uh, to through to midday on Motor Mania on Dubai one hundred three point eight, and uh, joining us now we've got. Uh, Nissan Middle East has uh, been heavily involved in the Dubai Expo as the official automotive partner, and uh, they're using this involvement to highlight some some pretty exciting automotive technology coming our way. And on the line, we have Abdullah Wazni, the Director of Product and Marketing at Nissan Middle East. Uh, good morning, Abdullah. What, what does the role of the official auto, automotive partner at, at Dubai Expo mean from Nissan from, from a practical perspective on site for the next six months, but also the, the wider picture beyond Expo? Thank you, Damien. Interesting question. Definitely, uh, Nissan Nissan has been an integral part of the Middle East region for close to 70 years. So uh, we came to, into the region back in 1956, and we have a, a strong legacy uh, that has been taking deep roots in the hearts of the Middle Eastern people and has become an integral part of their lives and families. So our partnership with Expo 2020 Dubai is a testament to our uh, commitment to the region. So Expo 2020 Dubai is a platform as we all know, for Nissan to tell the story and how the tech innovation enhances the quality of life for all. So we wanted to demonstrate our leadership as a technologically advanced automotive brand, which is uh, uh, fostering growth opportunities for everyone. And definitely by this, we will be supporting and continuing to contribute to the sustainable uh, business. So as, as a partner, we see this a fantastic opportunity to work closely and engage with the governments uh, uh, as well as global stakeholders in the transition to a newer, greener and more sustainable chapter in the future of uh, mobility. Yeah. So, uh, as, as you said, in, in, the, in the next six months, we will be participating in various panel discussion uh, spread across the six months uh, and we will also be hosting events. Uh, one of which uh, was the regional showcase of the Nissan Aria, uh, which took place uh, two weeks ago, which is our first all-electric crossover that serves as a representation and symbol of the Nissan future direction. Yeah. So, so I mean, the UAE is obviously uh, committed to electrification, but uh, given the favourable price of fuel here, it's a question that often pops up. How are companies like Nissan working to get more people into electric vehicles? In, in the Middle East, definitely, the UAE remains uh, uh, to be the, the, the forerunner when it comes to EV introduction and uh, uh, adoption in the region. So uh, Dubai has been, we've seen the region place a larger focus on sustainability and uh, clean energy with the government-backed uh, entities driving this transition over the past few years. When it comes to uh, ensuring the Middle East is, is ready mass EV use, so that's what we are working very closely with the governments uh, to make sure that we have the right infrastructure across uh, the uh, the region. And, uh, you know, when it comes to Nissan, Nissan uh, is a leader uh, when it comes to EV. Uh, we've sold more than 700,000 EVs across, across the world since 2010. And specifically on the LEAF, which is a mass production, we sold more than 500,000 uh, cars. Now, talking about uh, UAE in, in specific, so uh, uh, UAE, as, as we all know, uh, they, they, they are the first in, in the region uh, where they have a... a uh, a focus, and they took a lot of initiatives on uh, on uh, uh, the strategy on how to promote uh, electric mobility on one hand. And at the same time, uh, they invested a lot in the infrastructure where hundreds of charging stations uh, uh, dotted around the city. Uh, uh, this is, uh, of course, is a huge uh, investment by the by the government, but this is definitely a providing a financial advantage to, to EV drivers. So currently, uh, people can charge free of charge across the uh, the, uh, the UAE. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if we look in Abu Dhabi, 
uh, both Dubai and Abu Dhabi, they, they build a hydrogen alliance in Abu Dhabi, for example, earlier this year. So they want to work around the green hydrogen economy of the, of the UAE. Mm. Plus, they have more than 200 charging units installed across uh, the city where they are aiming for fewer emissions on the, on the road. Uh, Sharjah as well, they announced uh, uh, offer free charging EVs uh, till 2025 uh, as an incentive to boost the uh, EV uh, purchase and, and adoption in the, in the UAE. So yeah. this shows the leadership of, of the UAE government into the uh, electrification uh, which has started and I think it has uh, a huge uh, potential in the years to, uh, to come. Fantastic. Uh, absolutely commendable stuff. Now, you unveiled uh, just, a, just a touch over two weeks ago there at, at Dubai Expo the Nissan Aria EV concept SUV um, at the Expo site. Now, it's going to be released globally later this year. This is a completely new vehicle in every way in terms of design and, and concept. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and how it differs from your other EV, the one that most of us know, the Nissan Leaf, that was a real trailblazer for electric vehicles in, in the world, really. Yeah, I think Aria was was an exciting uh, reveal last uh, last uh, two weeks ago back in in the UAE. The Aria is is the brand first all electric crossover. I mean, we've been known with our Leaf. This has been uh, revealed globally uh, almost a year back in in Yokohama. But the first uh, reveal in the region, the Middle East, was at Expo 2020 two weeks ago. Uh, our EV strategy is is guided by our 2050 carbon neutrality goals, and this has been announced last year. So in the area, the technology, first the area was was the first crossover which is built from the very, from scratch as a uh, uh, electric uh, uh, crossover. The technology highlights its, uh, is the fusion of the electrification and the advanced driver support technology. This of course links the, the future of autonomous driving. So uh, uh, when we revealed it uh, in, in, uh, in, in Expo last uh, week, we wanted to showcase it because it serves as a symbol of our future of mobility and it presents the new direction that Nissan is taking. So the design uh, that is, uh, uh, the designers worked a lot to meet the needs of range of customers uh, across their uh, various uh, lifestyles. So mm. this is the, 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 the importance of, of the sleep. However, we've been committed also that in 2030, most, almost all our lineup will have an electric uh, version across all the uh, key markets around the, the world. Uh, to achieve, as we said, the uh, 2050 carbon neutrality goals set by the company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, the presentation I noticed I picked up was very much about um, about the future, about mobility and movements, the key words, rather than just being about new cars. Now, where do you see the future of, of it's a bit more of a generic, generic question, the future of motoring in the next decade? Will it be more about ride sharing and therefore mobility rather than personal car ownership? Will, will car companies like Nissan involve into offering other forms of, of transport solutions, not just cars as we know them, but perhaps things like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, electric scooters? Does it plug in the boot for that last mile to get into crowded cities? Um, even cities like London that even ban cars to get in there, for example. The whole scene seems to be changing. How is, with those key words, mobility and movement, how is Nissan sort of moving forward on this? Look, if, if you look at the, uh, at the region, of course, uh, looking at UAE as well as Saudi Arabia, uh, they are pioneering and advancing the field of smart mobility that are evolving around the rapid pace. Now, the introduction of autonomous vehicles would help solve uh, uh, issues like traffic congestion as well as uh, 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 road safety. 
So with the development of the smart cities supporting the introduction of self-driving vehicles powered by innovation, this will be a key in the, in the years to come. Over the past few years, uh, customers in the region have been seeking greater, greater flexibility when it comes to vehicle purchase. So now uh, keeping the customers at the core of everything we do, Nissan uh, uh, caters to this need with attractive uh, lease-to-own options for personal and business requirements, providing customers more, uh, let's say, cost-effective, uh, flexible, as well as hassle-free method of, of driving their dream car. So uh, uh, we, are, we will continue evolving to create new and innovative solutions, you know, to enhance and elevate the overall ownership of driving experience to our uh, wider customer uh, yep. in the region, and uh, a lot of uh, uh, studies yep. uh, that uh, Nissan is being uh, has been doing for the last couple of, of years, which will see the results hopefully in the years to come, especially in the Middle East and uh, especially in the GCC as part of the Middle East region. Great. Well, look, thank you so much, Abdel Ila. Um, it's been great having a, having a chat with you, and uh, I'm going to be out at Expo fairly soon, so I look forward to uh, to catching up with with you and the team out there from from Nissan. Uh, that is uh, Abdel Ila Wazni, the Director of Product and Marketing at Nissan Middle East. And uh, that's about all we've got time for this afternoon, this morning, rather. Um, and thank you also to Matthew Intershan and, of course, Abdel Ila from Nissan Middle East. We're back on air on the 13th of November. If there's anything you'd like to discuss about the latest cars or road safety issues in your area, you want to know how much your car is worth, Feel free to get in touch with us via text on 4001 or the ARN Play app or call us on 0487 Meanwhile, it's the boys and girls from the grill at 3pm and we're going to give you updates on the rugby, the ICC cricket, the Premier League action and a whole lot more. We'll see you in uh, two weeks' time and enjoy the rest of your Saturday and safe driving.